Hi, it's Erin Murphy Fisher, your host for the Kappa Kappa Gamma Career Academy podcast series. Welcome to podcast number two. In this episode, we will cover how to advocate for yourself while you're in the office. Well, friends, we've had a chance to talk to Marla Williams from the Kappa Kappa Gamma office and Blair Johnson, who works for the University of Texas in Austin. Y'all, I can't wait for you to listen in to this recording. Blair, I've heard your stories before, and I've got to be honest, they are like so many women that I know where you feel like you don't have a project and a plan and a strategy and you're crossing your fingers and then you get serious, you come up with the strategy and you go, whew, everything's going to be okay. Your story fits that narrative to a T, which is that you had some serious ups and downs in your career and really had to stand up for yourself. And I'm excited to hear your story in a different way today because Our topic is this idea of how do you advocate really fiercely and beautifully and boldly in the workplace, and you're going to tell us how you did it, and I can't wait to hear all the details. So welcome. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I've definitely had a few pitfalls, but in the end, it's only made me a lot stronger and a lot tougher. So hope it can give some advice to some others. I think it will. And I think what's really cool is that you are coming from this academic standpoint A lot of the other Kappa women that I've been interviewing have come at it from a nonprofit or a a for-profit company or a big traded association or a trade association or a a publicly traded company, to be honest. Yours is a little bit different. You come from an academic industry and, and quite frankly, it seems to me the struggles are the same no matter where you are, but you've got a really unique angle. So let's get started. I've got to dig in from the very beginning. And I need to know, as a woman in particular, from that lens, where have you struggled advocating for yourself? We're going to get to some of the high highs, but where were some of the lows first? Um, great question. So starting, starting with the lows, I would say kind of in the first times I was in a very serious position where I was, you know, being kind of disadvantaged or not given fair treatment with my peers or just, you know, I was, I was given an offer that wasn't going to work for me. In the beginning, I took it very personally and I was, you know, I thought they didn't want to have me. I definitely took it. I questioned my own value and my own worth. And that really damaged my self-confidence and made me not want to stick up for myself and to really fight for what I needed. And, you know, I recognize this is not me. I am very tough. I am very capable. Um, I do deserve to be here. But kind of when those first negative bits set in, you know, you can really start to question yourself, but then hopefully you can recognize, let me turn this into an opportunity and see what can I turn this into? How can I advocate for myself? Can I make them see my self-worth or not? And then what can I do with whatever, whatever situation is handed to me? Tell us the story about getting a job that you thought you deserved and would be good at and you had started this position and they had said to you, hey, listen, we think you'll be promoted in one to two years, but something happened. Can you walk us through what position, uh, you certainly don't have to tell us where you were, but 
what you were going for and what the situation was there. So when I finished my PhD, um, I had a, I have a PhD that I got in 2016 in civil engineering. I was offered a postdoc position. So this is a research job to work in a lab for a couple of years. But I knew that after that, I wanted to be a professor. And when I went for my interview, everything went great. I had actually found the position myself and kind of we created this job for me at this institution. And they said, right, I would be a postdoc researcher for a couple of years. Then somebody was meant to retire and I would get their faculty position. So this sounded perfect um, dream come true that I was walking into. So accepted, moved out there, um, everything started okay. But within the first couple of months, I realized this just was not true. And I was not going to be promoted. And it seemed like this was a dead end for my career. And so I had kind of two strategies moving forward. One was I had been given the advice make yourself indispensable. And so I went out of my way to introduce myself to everyone, try to bring different communities together and create a reputation for myself so that they would want to keep me there. And the other was I needed an exit strategy. And so I started immediately applying for jobs within, I think, two months of me arriving. I was already a little bit one foot out the door to see if other opportunities that were going to be better for my long-term success were out there and that maybe they were looking for me. This is so fascinating because we hear this notion that you have to stay in a job for two years. Your resume deserves a entry and an exit that looks pretty. And, that, and what that means is that at least two years on your resume. And what you're saying is that you got bad information and you said, I'm not going to subscribe to that. I'm going to be in a place where I'm on a track that's important to me. Yeah, that is true. Two years is kind of, I feel like, the minimum amount of time to get something done and make a dent at the place where you're working. But I will say, yeah, while I applied for jobs immediately, and spoiler alert, I got the job, <laughs> um, I did end up deferring my start date for, gosh, about 10 or 11 months. So I ended up staying in the old position for a year and a half so that I could say, I made a contribution. This is what I gave to you. This is what you've given to me. I didn't want that to be a blip on my resume. I wanted to still put in all of my good faith and try to make that the best opportunity I could before jumping into the rest of my career. So I did defer it, but it worked out. Okay, there's a great tip right there. I would have never thought of considering to defer a big job opportunity, A, to honor somebody else, but also to honor your resume. How did you decide to do that? What was that negotiation like? Interestingly, so this is probably one of the things that might be unique to academia. But for them, they wanted me to keep building my kind of building my repertoire and knowing that when I started my faculty job, that I was going to hit the ground running and be fully prepared. So for them, it was almost an advantage to give me more time to kind of beef up my skills. It also gave me more time because I do physical laboratory work and they needed to renovate a lab. So it gave them some time to try to prepare my lab. It also deferred my tenure process, which for me is an advantage because it gives me more time to build a resume and be successful. So it was actually win-win all around, but I know that's a luxury that not everybody has. If it hadn't been offered to me, I would have asked because some people will defer their start date for one, sometimes two years okay. because yeah, they still want to travel. They still want to build themselves up. Okay. Well, I'm learning a lot because you know we're doing a whole series and one of our other series is on negotiation. And I think this is such a great tie-in here is to say, Think about the other options. I always consider that the, what's plan C. Most of us go, it's either this or that. It's A or B. It's right or wrong. 
And what I'm hearing from you is, hey, there's another option out there. Plan C is that I can defer. And I think that there are some companies that will allow you to do that outside the academic field. And so just a good reminder to us as women, we need to push the envelope a little bit harder and make sure that we're asking all of our options before we make a big commitment, especially when you're on a tenure track. Yeah, for sure. No. And I, you know, I think it's good to, to aim high, like know what your dreams are. And if, you know, if you 100% could design your job, could design your own startup package and your negotiations, what can you reach for? They might not be offering it to you up front, but if you ask for it, they might give it to you. And so I think it's just, it's always worth a shot to kind of yeah, have that in mind of what would make this the ideal job for you. But also your company wants you to be successful. They need you to produce things for them. And so it's to their advantage also to make sure that you're happy and you have all the resources you need. Great feedback, great feedback. Okay, here's what I always want to know. I used to do walks in the month of May for 30, 31 days in the month of May with women and interview them and ask them and questions. And one of the questions I would always ask was this, who is on your team? Who shows up for you regularly? In my case, I was asking these women about their growth in the area of confidence, how they develop their own confidence. So I'm going to ask it to you with a different lens, which is when you're thinking about advocating for yourself, my guess is that you weren't doing it alone. So here's what I want to know. Who was on your team? So I am very lucky. My husband is absolutely my number one supporter. We met in graduate school, and so he always knew what my career ambitions were. When we started to date, we decided to agree. Do we both want to be professors? Yes. Will we live apart? We kind of went through a checklist of things to make sure, were we going to support each other's careers and the relationship before we committed to start dating? So he has, number one, always been by my side. He's always known my worth. He has wanted to see me succeed professionally um, and in a job where I was valued because he knew that would make me happy and he knew I had contributions to give. My PhD advisor has also been extremely encouraging, always available for a phone call or a text just to just kind of as a sounding board so I can say, hey, this isn't really sitting right with me. How does it sound to you? And just to, to know that both my husband and my advisor typically agreed with my concerns. And so when, you know, when I was feeling defeated by the job, they helped validate that what I was going through was was true and that it was a problem. So really they gave me a confidence boost. I will say yes, like they weren't stepping in, they weren't calling my boss, they weren't trying to do my negotiations for me, but they gave me so much confidence and strength to just know that I was doing the right thing by trying to improve my situation. I think an advisor, a great partner, all of those help you get some of your blind spots removed and really help you process and think through, what am I going to say in this big meeting? What am I going to advocate for? What seems reasonable and logical? Am I on track or am I way off track? And I just find that I used to be the like lone decision maker and now I like that collaborative effort. And so I love that you've got, you've got two really strong people who help you in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've really found over the last few years you can have mentors and advocates and supporters everywhere. And so it's like, I know who my go-to people are for all sorts of different, you know, topic areas in my 
professional and personal life that I always have someone kind of, you know, on track that I know, I know who I can call to say, Blair, your ideas are totally off base. Like you need to rethink this. And I know the people who will just say, you're doing great. Keep going forward. You got this (laughs) just to make me feel better. And don't we need both? I, some days I want somebody to be like, you're fine. And other days I'm like, I need some tough love today. I need somebody to set me straight. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we need it. We need it on both sides. Some days I, I want to be crazy and I want that to be okay. Yeah, that I can just be happy moving forward what I'm doing. Okay, Blair, I asked you at the beginning about some of the low lows. So let's let me ask you the opposite side of that, which is what are some of the best results that came from this? So that first position you were walking away, but I imagine that there were some good things that happened as a result. Yeah, absolutely. In my first job, it's like even while I was, you know, maybe quote unquote failing, I created a really good name for myself. I created a community and I feel like I left a really strong footprint um, and feel like I've created things that were not there before I came. And I know that they have lasted. And so creating some sort of a little legacy definitely makes me feel really good about what I did there. I would say, though, in moving forward, you know, when I was going through the job interview and negotiation process for my current job, I just I recognized everything that had gone wrong before. And I realized the things I didn't do at my old job. And so, for example, when I was going through the negotiation process, there were three things that really, I think, led to me feeling confident and comfortable with the negotiation. And one was I wanted every single detail in writing, no more verbal promises that could be taken away, you know, breakdowns of what's the budget, what's my timeline, who are the personnel I'll working with, just every single thing. The second, I would say I was scared to death to bring up anything that could potentially cost me that offer, you know, things that technically are illegal, but that happen. Um, So I didn't bring up my husband. I didn't bring up any personal or family needs. It was just, I am Blair. I want this job. And I, I was scared to bring anything up until after I had the offer, then kind of the truth came out. And so, and the third, I would say through all of this, I was sure that the hiring committee thought I was totally nuts and paranoid because I just, there was no detail too small for me to be worried about. But honestly, in the end, it's all worked out. I've been there for two and a half years. And I think, you know, in that time that I've been there, they have totally forgiven me and realized why I was so concerned with all of these details. So it really helped turn things around. You know, I think when you have some sort of an obstacle, you can let it defeat you. You can take it personally. You can let it totally throw you off course. And I see that happen all the time. And it just makes me so sad knowing that, especially for women, they're worth so much more than they're letting themselves be valued at. So I'd say, you know, you can't take these things personally. I stopped taking it personally. I don't see it as an insult. Instead, I realized, you know, I just need to be direct. I need to be honest and I need to deal with things promptly. You can't let things linger around or escalate or stew. Just be direct, ask questions, don't make assumptions, don't make accusations, just try to turn it around as quickly and as positively as it will work. And honestly, if it doesn't work, figure out, as you said, yeah, figure out your plan C. It might not be plan B, it might be plan C, but you need to make it happen because you're worth it. There's so much good content out of that response. And I want to say to you something, which is That this idea that you thought, this team thought you were crazy for asking all of these questions and details. But two things come to my mind. One, you had been burned before with promises that did not come into fruition. And so you stayed to do their best work. 
and then found this position. But also, I don't think that when anybody else is asking for the details that they think that you're crazy. I think what they're thinking is this woman is thorough, which means she's going to be detailed in her position. She's going to do good work. But we've got a mindset sometimes, I think, that if we ask for too much or are too curious or too detailed or too whatever, then it's going to be seen as a disadvantage. And I don't think the men that I know in my life are worried about that. What I think they're worried about is, am I taking advantage and maximizing the opportunity to to advocate for myself? So how do you feel about it now that you're two years out versus when you were in the middle of that negotiation? Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. I mean, when my husband was doing his job negotiations, he was literally sending them spreadsheets of, well, this is the salary you gave me. This is the cost of living in this city versus everything else. And he was just like putting them up against each other. He did not feel guilty. And I don't think they were worried about it. I think they took it and said, okay, well, we'll adjust your salary. We'll do what we ever, whatever we need to do to make you happy. Yeah, he was totally shameless in it. Also very polite and respectful. For me, <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. For me, yeah, if I were doing it now, I would do the same. I also think knowing my colleagues and knowing the atmosphere of our work environment, I think that was totally par for the course. It showed that I was prepared. It showed that I knew what I was getting into and I knew what my needs were. I showed them the areas where I could compromise, but also where I could not compromise. And I think they were able to respect that and really you know, have confidence in me that this is someone who is going to be a great professor here. So we want to support her. But also when she asks for help, we know we need to take her seriously because you know, she's not asking just to ask. She's asking because there is a greater plan you know, in sight. And so we want, we want this to work out for, for all sides. That makes so much sense. I think that is packed with advice in that response. There's just so many things to take away there. And I think one of the things to remember is not to apologize for asking for what you want. One of my mentors said to me, You are most liked during the interview process because they've picked you and they are ready to move on and have you start. So ask for what you want at the beginning, not in the middle or at the end. Ask for what you want at the beginning and have confidence doing so. So a few more questions that I've got to know. Do you feel like you have taken big risks? And in thinking about taking big risks, What are some of the pros and cons that we need to think about when advocating for yourself? Have you really put yourself out on the line? You know, I would say in my in my family's perspective and my friends' perspectives, they would think I've taken huge risks. A lot of my classmates actually said, why are you even applying for jobs? This is too early. It's too soon. You're never going to get it. And for me, I said, no, this is an opportunity. I'm going to try. I honestly don't feel like I took a big risk because I know my worth. I knew that I deserved better than what I had. And so I felt like I was just cheering for myself. You know, I was rooting for Team Blair. And that felt like the right thing to do. It felt very necessary to apply for jobs. It felt necessary to try to stand up for myself and to show them what I was worth. Being stuck in a bad job was just not an option for me. It was not what I had worked so hard to accomplish. And so, you know, even though there's so much uncertainty and fear in applying for new jobs, possibly having to move across the country, changing your whole life, I felt like I had nothing to lose. And there was really no fear of what could come from me trying to change that situation. It just felt this was the natural and necessary thing I had to do if I was ever going to be happy. 
Here's what I want to know next. What have you seen others, particularly women, do well when they advocate in their role? So what I'm looking for here is we just need some advice from you on when we think about the options and opportunities to stand up beyond just the idea of negotiating at the beginning. What are you seeing women do well and where do we need to improve as women? Well, I think, you know, to stereotype a little bit, women are often very good listeners. And I think we need to use that to our advantage. Ask multiple people the same question and see, do you get six of the same answers? Or is it inconsistent? And that will help you, you know, by being very thoughtful listener, you can really learn what you're walking into by listening to their experiences, their advice, different things they have learned along the way and are wanting to share with you. So I think that is a huge strength that women have is being able to kind of step back and read the room. But also when faced with a conflict, I think the most successful women I have looked to are just direct and honest. I certainly get upset when things happen. This still happens in my job all the time. Things come up and I might cry for an afternoon. But then the next day is like, I just need to deal with this and write the email, proofread it, take out anything that could hint at emotion. But I can say, you know, I'm disappointed, but I'm not going to say I'm upset or I'm sad about this. So I do try to keep it very professional and keep some of the personal implications out of it. But I also do think, you know, ideally you're in an environment where people do care that you're happy. So I think it's okay to have emotions for sure, but just not to let it overwhelm your message. If someone says something that offends you or that might threaten your success, um, that they're taking away a resource that you really need, instead of making an assumption about that person or trying to guess what their reasoning was, just ask them, say, hey, why are you taking this away? This is something that's been really helpful for me. I need this for my career. So is there, you know, is there an alternate route we can consider so that, you know, all of our needs are met? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. What I heard you say is you need to be direct. And this piece that cannot be forgotten is professionalism. That will take you so much farther when you have a good reputation of being professional, which by the way, does not make it easy, does not always make it fun, doesn't mean that you don't wanna roll your eyes at somebody or curse the day that they were born, but it does mean that at the end, you take the step back and you think about the email before you hit that send button. Oh yeah, I mean, while I'm writing the email, I'm definitely saying some snarky things out loud, (laughs) or I'm saying to my husband, oh, this is what I really want to say, but those words will never make it into the office, and so it's okay. Yeah, that you cannot change your reputation that quickly in a good way. You can change your reputation in a poor way very easily. And so all of those details matter. I love that you reminded us so boldly to be professional. And I also love that you said be direct, that you don't mince words, that you are clear about what you need and what you don't need. And I would imagine you would argue that you're not going to get everything that you want. So how do you handle that when you're advocating for yourself? It's not the right position. It's not the right opportunity. It's not what you need. But sometimes you just have to push through. So what do we do there? This happens to me all the time, unfortunately, even in my dream job. I just keep very careful track of kind of who has made me promises that you know are going to move forward and who is the current person that is maybe creating the obstacle or throwing a wrench in the situation. And I always kind of know what the hierarchy is. And so, you know, if my supervisor says this is not going to work, 
I discuss it with them as to why. And then I go a step higher and I say, this is a conversation I had with somebody. Do you have a solution for this? This is my proposed solution. I always have a solution on hand that I can offer to them. I don't want them to have to fix all of my problems, but if I can get them to agree with my plan of what I need and how I can be successful, I've taken some of the work off of their plate. You know, I've tried to make it easy for my supervisors to improve the situation. And I have not been afraid to just keep going up the line, you know, to the chair, to the dean. I haven't had to go above the dean yet, but if I did, I would, because someone someone has a solution. Um, and I think sometimes you just need to be persistent in finding the right person who on that day is going to be willing and able to help you. You might catch your supervisor just on a bad day. And so any solution you throw at them might not stick but there is a solution somewhere. And so I think being honest about communicating that, you know, not throwing anyone under the bus, but just being direct about, this is what I need. This is the wrench that has been thrown in my situation. I think it would be a really easy fix if we can do this together and see if they're willing to bite and see if they want to work with you. Yeah, and I think it's healthy to ask your supervisor, since we don't have a solution, are you okay if I go to the next level to get more advice or wisdom to see if we can solve this together? Okay, last question that I have for you today. What advice do you have now in twofold? What advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your career or even the beginning of undergrad? I mean, you've done so many years of schooling and outside of schooling and these big positions, I'm sure you've got a ton of experience. So number one, what advice would you give yourself from the beginning? And number two, what advice do you have for us now? Yeah, I think from the beginning, if you're one of those lucky people to know what your dream job is from the time you're young, hang on to that dream. I was one of those people when I graduated from college, you know, at 22, I knew exactly what I wanted to be how exactly I would need to achieve that, you know, what degrees I needed, what experiences I needed. I know not everyone has that luxury and a lot of people are still figuring it out as they go, but you know, hopefully you have some dream in mind. And so just hang on to that and do not let the daily obstacles derail you. One thing I have learned is that advocating for yourself is, you know, it can be a daily activity, small things or big things you need to stick up for yourself to make sure that you are staying on track because, you know, as much as your friends support you, as much as your boss supports you, at the end of the day, you are really the only person that is 100% standing behind yourself. Everyone else has an agenda, has their own ideas, has things that they're busy with. And so you need to be the person to make your dreams come true. So I'd say just always keep your goals and your wishes in mind to know what is the best possible outcome that I could have in my life and how do I achieve that? I think too, you know, there are things you can compromise. There are things you need to be successful. There are things you don't need to be successful, but that would be dreams. Know the difference between your needs, your wants, and your wishes. Um, I'd say, you know, aim for the absolute best opportunity out there for you and prepare yourself to succeed at it. You know, if you fail, you'll deal with it, but <laughs> prepare yourself to succeed. Uh, my uncle would always tell me, luck favors the prepared. So yeah, know what your plan B is, what you can live with and what you can't. And I think making those pieces work, just yeah, knowing where you can step back, but also knowing where do you really need to be your biggest supporter 
and making that come true and hanging on to that and just not letting the little things and sometimes the big things, but not letting those obstacles derail you from what you know is your best self. I love it. Thanks for all of your advice. We've done this before and I've heard parts of your story before, Blair, but today I learned so much more. So thanks for all the advice and the wisdom and all the honesty. We needed it today. Thank you so much, Erin. Now it's been fun. I thank you also. These are, and these are things that, you know, I go through my daily life. I never sit back and really think about them. It's like, I'm kind of learning them because I have to. And so it's, it's really awesome to actually get to kind of put them on paper or in everyone's headphones to, to kind of analyze what went wrong and what went well so that we can just do better next time. So thank you so much for this. You're ending with even better advice. I love it. Write it all down, practice it, think about it, stew on it for a little bit, keep learning. All right. Thank you, Erin. Y'all, today you are about to hear from the famous Marla Williams from the Kappa office. Marla's been with the organization for over 20 years, and she's going to share some insightful information. Actually, a few things that I did not know about her, even though I've worked with her as a partner and a colleague and a consultant for four or five years. So get ready to listen to not only some of her best advice, but this brilliant story about how she advocated for herself to get to a conference. It gave me some insider information as to who she is, but it also gave me some information about this piece of hearing a no and then offering some different solutions. And the reason why I love this story so much was simple is because it was a reminder to me that oftentimes as women, we hear a no, and that seems like a stop sign to us versus a caution or a yield. And she got smart and said, I want to go to this conference. I need to advocate for myself and I'm going to figure out a way to do it. So you'll hear that story in just a few minutes. Marla, I've got so many questions for you and I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Erin, and thanks for the wonderful introduction. <laughs> I am. It's funny. Everybody in the planet knows that I'm the president of your fan club, but I don't know if I say it to you regularly enough. So we've got to get started because there's so much ground to cover. The very first question that I have for you that has been on my mind for such a long time is, you know, I see you as this incredibly seasoned professional who works with volunteers, with board members, who works with a full team on your education staff. But I imagine that it was not always so easy or seamless. And quite frankly, I can imagine not every day is easy or seamless. But what I want to know from you is tell me, Marla Williams, where did you struggle? Did you hit road bumps with salary benefits project work? Did you have trouble accessing leadership opportunities as you were going through your whole entire career? Give us some insider information. Absolutely. You know, I've been working for Kappa for just over 20 years now, but um, had some other jobs prior to that. And I would definitely say early on in my career, particularly, I was super nervous to step up and advocate for myself you know, sort of that feeling of why should I? I'm so new to my role. Do I deserve this? Am I worthy of this? You know, all those things, self-doubt rolling through your mind. So those are the, you know, the barriers that for sure early on in my career, but I'll, I'll be honest, 
also still enter my mind today, right? We we all do that self-talk, talking ourselves out of and saying we may not be worthy of something. So I really had to learn some skills and build, you know, sort of that, I guess, confidence in approaching situations and advocating for myself. So I can use salary as an example. When I went into my first job, I didn't negotiate advocate at all for myself. I went in and took the first offer on the table. I think many people have done that, right? And I definitely found the low side of that because very quickly came to find out that other people of similar positions had advocated for themselves and were making more than me. So that built up that sense of resentment. And, you know, so I learned early on, you know, know your worth, know what is out there as the standard and don't sit back and just assume somebody's going to hand it to you. So that's, you know, one of those situations there. You know, what is interesting is that even at the years of professional development that I've had or the years of being in the workforce that I've had, the number of my friends, particularly my women friends who will call me and say to me, don't be mad. And I know exactly what they're going to say. They're going to say to me, I didn't negotiate for anything. I didn't negotiate for the salary or the office space or the flexibility or their vacation days. And listen, I'm usually very gracious about it, but there's part of me that feels really bummed and disappointed because they, they felt like, I just want the job. I just want to close the deal. And I just want the anxiety of all of this to be over. So they skip out on it. And like you said, what ends up happening is then you have all this resentment later. So if you could go back to that first job where you didn't negotiate, what would you have done differently? I would have researched and educated myself on my value, my worth, better understood. I would have asked different questions as I was going through the process about, you know, back then, I mean, now we're talking, you know, now 25 years ago, probably 25, 26 years ago your research opportunities were limited, but asking other people, asking during the process, what's the what's the pay range, it, particularly as we're talking about salary here, understanding what others were making in the field and then asking specifically for it. I also would have, and I tell people this all the time, think about the things that are not related to salary. And I know that's getting a little bit into negotiation conversation versus advocating, but You do need to understand what, as you're advocating for yourself, know the options, right? So maybe money is not all that I'm going to care about. I might care about what's my benefits package. What are my, I love to vacation, love to travel. That's worth a lot to me as an individual. So, you know, that's an example when it comes to sort of that, that salary piece of it. But that's what I would have done differently. I would have better educated myself to what the ranges were, what other people were making in that field, and know my worth. Yeah, and now with there's so many tools that people can use. Glassdoor, for instance, in our industry, we're all good and well-connected to each other. So being able to reach out to an expert, I also think there are so many trade associations that do salary surveys, and they also have some insider information about what ranges you should have. But I don't think anybody should be afraid to say, tell me what the range is so that I'm within your market and also that, you know, nobody's going to be spooked by the number I throw out. Absolutely. Okay, Marla, this last week, 
I got a call and it was from my mentor, a gentleman named Rob Parker. Rob is my Yoda. He's my person that I go to with advice about what I need to do for repaving my driveway because I just bought a new home all the way to give me some advice about how to handle this situation at work. I imagine that you have somebody who is a Rob Parker in your life. And one of my favorite stories about him is he says to me regularly, be the person that when the phone rings and your name pops up on caller ID, that people want to take it because you are full of energy and love and good wisdom. And I have to imagine, as I said, that you've got somebody who is like that in your life, that when they call you or when they would call you, that you have to pick up because they're they're going to invest in you. So walk me through who that person was and what did they do for you? Yeah. Oh, gosh. See, that kind of makes my heart my heart happy, but also even a little bit sad, only because she's no longer um, here. It was actually one of my supervisors um, back in my very first real professional position working in Idaho at a residential treatment facility for delinquent youth, believe it or not, long, long ago. And she um, supervised me. It was the first time I'd ever really encountered, I mean, again, my first professional role, but having a woman in that position was very empowering to me. And she really felt dedicated in lifting up all those around her, but in particular, the women that she supervised. So that was really exciting for me. I always laughed when I talked with her and said, you know, wow, you, you know, you popularized uh, how to lean in before Sheryl Sandberg ever did. (laughs) She could have been making millions. Right. She should have written the book back then when she, when she thought of it, but she did, you know, like she, she's the one that taught me really do not be afraid to advocate for yourself, lean in, get involved, know your worth. And one of the things like, I was thinking about her the other day and I'm like, gosh, you know, I really think about the relationships in my life, particularly professionally. And I attribute a lot of that to her because she really said, build relationships, get to know people, get to know the people you supervise, get to know the people that you're on teams with, get to know the people who manage you, build those relationships. And she said that because you can utilize those as you advance in your career, not, she wasn't talking about using people to get where you need to go. She was never about that, you know, stepping on people or using them in a way that doesn't feel good, you know, to advance yourself. But she talked about how you can utilize those relationships. You can use them for support. You can use those relationships to better learn what you're doing, um, reaching out to people and saying, here's my situation. How do I approach this? I utilized her in so many ways of how do I advocate for myself and where I'm trying to go? You know, another thing she, she really talked about, and I think I really value this, is she talked about, especially with advocating, approach each situation differently based on mutual goals and objectives. So she was all about that win-win. She's like, anytime you can move into a scenario with that win-win in mind, your opportunities just expand. That was so valuable. 
I love that advice. And I wish at 23, even to today, I would have done much better care of connecting and building some different, more meaningful relationships. I didn't know who I was going to need along the way. So I wish I would have done a better job of just collecting everybody. I mean, certainly I've met, I travel like you do, and I meet people on the plane all the time. I meet people from friend of a friend. And now with social media, it's so much easier to stay connected. Certainly LinkedIn is the best place to go to do all of that. There are some people that I wish from my early bits of my career that I was still in healthy contact with, not just, hey, I know you on Instagram or or Facebook or, or LinkedIn, but that I had maintained some of those relationships. Those probably would pay off dividends for my own business right now. So that's a, that's a life lesson I wish I would have picked up earlier on. Yeah, I mean, and she she really emphasized, you know, when you have those relationships, then when you go into a situation where you are asking for something or promoting an idea or, you know, making a recommendation, you already have that established relationship. The scary factor sort of eases away, right? That makes sense. Okay, I want to transition for just a second because you have been sharing all of this information and my brain is firing on all cylinders. One of the things that you said at the beginning was that there was some fear and certainly some scare in your body about advocating or asking for what you needed. And certainly we're going to do a whole session with the team on negotiations and there are 17 things that you can be negotiating for. My question to you is beyond the fear of asking for what you need or negotiating for what you need, what are the things that you benefited from as a result of actually having the gumption to make the move for you know overriding the fear and saying, I've got to do this regardless? Where did it pay off? Yeah. As I was thinking about this topic the other day, I had this aha moment of where I am now in my career and in actually my profession is all a result of one moment in time of advocating for myself and taking a risk. One moment? One moment. Because when I really think about it, I, so disclosure here, my, my background is in theater, teaching theater, which translating into training and development does make sense. But it wasn't a, I graduated and I knew, you know, I, I graduated with my master's and knew I was going into training and development and curriculum writing. So that didn't happen for me. And when I was working way back at this treatment facility in Idaho, I came across a professional development conference that I wanted to attend. And I went to a different supervisor at the time, not the woman that I was reporting to that I talked about earlier, but a different supervisor. And I went and asked permission to attend this conference. And I said, here's what the cost is, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he said, well, I'm sorry, we can't send you. We don't have a budget for that. And I was like, oh, okay never liking to hear the word no, who does, right? So I went away and I'm like, gosh, I wonder if there's any way, like, is there another way to go, right? So I started doing some research, made a couple phone calls because that's what you did back then and found out that they were doing a call for programs for their conference. And if you were selected, they paid your registration fee and your hotel. I'm like, okay, well, I've never delivered a workshop before, but 
I guess I should apply. I have some expertise in some of the areas they were looking for. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, my background's in teaching theater. Haven't, you know, surely I can, you know, put on a training here. So I applied and got accepted. And so then I marched back into my my supervisor's office with a nice little written proposal, had it all written out, right? I'm like, look, I've, I've you know, this has been accepted. I've got my registration, my hotel covered. And now all you have to do is pay for mileage and cover my meals. And guess what? Here's the benefit. Remember that win-win? Here is the benefit to our organization by me going and presenting and being on the agenda. And of course he said yes, because who wouldn't at that moment, right? Pretty much everything was paid for, win-win. And I loved it so much. I loved that feeling of being a facilitator and training and holding conversations and dialogue around a particular topic that that really kicked off my passion for training and development and any opportunity from that moment forward that I could have to develop training, conduct training, write curriculum. I raised my hand every time as a result of that one, one moment just to get to a conference. So that speaks to me on so many levels. And one of the things that I hear is that you have to be tenacious. Yeah. And you've got to think of, you got to think inside the box sometimes. And sometimes you got to think outside the box. I just want to know, what did his face look like when you came back to him that second time? <laughs> it really was priceless. Although I think at that point he had learned that I was... You know, I always take a no with graciousness, right? However, he, he already very well knew that the moment I heard no, I, I saw it as a challenge. Like, okay, how can we make this work? How can we go for that win-win? And so, um, but his, his face was pretty priceless. He was like, well, I guess there'd be no reason for me to say no now. And then he's like, congratulations. <laughs> so it was great. Well done. Okay, so let's go to the opposite side of this coin for just a moment. When did you feel like you were taking a big risk and you knew you needed to advocate for yourself, but you were worried about repercussions? Do you have any examples for us on what to do, A, when we have that fear? And also, do you have any personal examples of, you know, what happened when it didn't go in your favor? Yeah, I think, you know, probably the biggest, I mean, the one that rises to the top for me are things like, you know, obviously we talked about when you go into a job, you have an opportunity to advocate for yourself and what you're making. Certainly every year when it comes to review time, you have an opportunity to advocate for yourself and what your raise is. You know, it's funny. I'm not sure I would consider myself great at that. That that always is is hard because a lot of times you're well aware of where an organization is at, you know, and for me, I work for nonprofit and have my whole life. So you're often very sensitive to the fact that perhaps it is a good or not so good year. So that's probably where I maybe have felt a bigger risk only because I have felt, again, that feeling of, do I have a right to be asking for this? Oh gosh, by me asking for this, is this, you know, going to put somebody else not receiving as significant of a raise as they want? I have my team to worry about as well when I think about, you know, who is going to, as in the as part of that raise process, if what I'm asking for would detract from them. So those are the types of, I guess I'd call, 
it's not so much a risk, but they're considerations as you go in. So again, I have learned to rely on what are some of those other intangible things that I would be satisfied with or happy with. I'm not sure if I can give you a real specific example, but I know there are plenty of times where I have advocated for like a project or an initiative or something I think that the organization should take on that I believe to be a really good idea based on my professional experience and having to present that to whether that's our fraternity council or our board of trustees and hearing back maybe it's not the right time, we don't have the resources for that. There's a risk there that I have to be careful not to push my own personal agenda So sometimes that's something I'm consciously aware of as I try and move something forward. You know, sometimes there's a a blur between what I personally really feel strongly about versus maybe what is always, I have to weigh, of course, what's best for the organization and the organization goals and mission. Yeah, I think if you see some of the movies about women advocating for themselves, or you see articles in magazines, I read a lot of a lot, a lot of articles on on Forbes women, and it is sometimes it feels really aggressive versus balance. And I think the idea that we're trying to share here is simple. Think about it at least. Put a plan together at least. Ask some questions about what your options and opportunities are at least. You may not get everything you want to advocate for yourself, but don't miss the opportunity or or don't miss out on the the potential risk because you don't know what somebody else knows that may be great for you. Yeah. And you know, another thing too is recognize that sometimes right then may not be the time. The timing may not be right. So you have to you have to understand that if it's not right then, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't be right to advocate for that, to, to revisit, to go back. I think of a proposal that I put forward years and years ago for Kappa, and it it was turned down. It was deemed that it was not the time to spend money, time, resources, etc. on it. And that proposal was dug back out two years ago and re-put back up on the table and the time was right. It was it was it was right for the organization. We had the resources, the the time, et cetera, to devote to it. So it's amazing how, you know, I think that's another lesson, right? That it's okay to say it's not now, but when might it be revisited? That's great advice. Okay, here's another question that I have for you is exactly what you're talking about. What other big pieces of advice do you have for women in particular who are in this place? I can see myself in all of my seats in my early career and thinking how little I advocated for myself. And in terms of even getting feedback from a supervisor or getting professional development opportunities from a team or saying, maybe I'm not the right person for this project, but put me on this one supervisor because I think I could excel at this and and really and really having the wherewithal to know what I could bring and what I could not bring. What other advice do you have for all of us who either can think back or are currently struggling? I'd say number one, don't be afraid. I know that's easier said than done at times, 
But if you have devoted and put the time into developing the relationships, go into that advocating situation for yourself, hopefully with some sort of a belief that the individual that you're talking with, it's part of a dialogue. You're both there to hopefully do what's best for the organization, the company, the the situation, and that you are just there having that dialogue with them in that relationship. So don't be afraid. They're there, hopefully, to support you just as much as you're there to support them. I really actually detest the phrase, what have you got to lose? Because I really think it leads with the negative. I like to ask myself instead, what do you have to gain? What is it? What, what are you hoping for? What do you have to gain? And what does the organization or the company or the other individual have to gain? Again, going for that win-win. And then I think finally, and this I maybe later in my career, I realized this more. I think it's really important to remember that we aren't only advocating for ourselves, that we need to also think about those who we are advocating for. So I'm I'm very well aware at times of my position of, of privilege and being aware of voices that may not be amplified or heard. I always feel like I have to ask myself, how am I going to support? How am I going to lift up their voices to be heard? How will I step back and allow somebody else to rise up? And and how do I encourage others on their journey? So I think when we think about advocating, we are talking about right now sort of advocating for ourselves, but I'm also very acutely aware and I want others to be aware of how are you advocating for other people? I love this. And I want to tie a little bit of this into some of the work that I talk to women about, which is that there are so many women, especially early on in my career, who are great at turning the spotlight off for other women in the space. And I would say not just women, but in general, that if there was any competition that it felt amplified in a way as opposed to, man, we could be a powerhouse together versus only one of us can have the spotlight at any given time. So I always say at the end of my work when I'm facilitating to women is something really simple. Your job as a woman is to turn on all the spotlights for all the women. And there's going to be somebody who's going to follow you and turn them all off because she sees this as competition. And your job is to be consistent and just circle her again and flip them all on. And eventually she'll get tired of turning off everybody's lights and you will eventually win the ability to turn on spotlights for other human beings. But I love what you're saying here, which is that at some point it reverses and you say, not only am I going to advocate for myself and my projects, but then you're saying number two, I'm going to be mindful of what that timing looks like. And is it just good for me or is it good for my team and the organization? And then the third part, what I hear you saying is brilliant, which is then I'm going to start advocating and making sure the voices that are not heard get to the table using my voice. Or I'm going to get those folks, those groups to the table in some way so they can use their own voices. I think that's the evolution of what you're saying is the process of advocating for yourself takes on several iterations 
the farther along we get into our career. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, and you see, you take great pleasure and joy for, for me, I do as a supervisor to see the members of my team rise up and be recognized and be acknowledged for their amazing work. So I want to close with a couple things. One is that I feel, and I get this sense from my own personal experiences, Marla, you and I have known each other for four or five years. We've had a lot of road warrior days. We've been late nights, early mornings, doing all sorts of work to support the women of Kappa. And I see, and I think that you probably see as well, so many talented women, so many talented advisors, volunteers, who we see as brilliant, who have this fear of conflict, fear of rejection. They have doubt. And as one of my dear friends, her name is also Erin, says that they have a saboteur in their brain who is constantly giving them false messages or false insecurities. So how do we override or how have you had to override some of these things in your career to get to the place where you're ready to sit at the table and ask the tough questions. We're so, it's so funny, particularly as women, we are enculturated right from the very beginning of not offending, not making somebody upset, apologizing, deferring. It's such a part, at least it has been for me, a part of my upbringing. So it's a lot of reframing those inner conversations that go on in my mind of those those doubts that that seed themselves. I think that if I go back and look at what is my intent here? What is and and then what is going to be my impact because we know that sometimes intent versus what the impact is can be two different things. But if I'm approaching it from a relationship standpoint, with the win-win in mind, understanding the goals and objectives of the organization or goals and objectives of the relationship, the situation, and going with the philosophy of what can be gained, what opportunities can be expanded upon, brought to light, etc. And if I'm not going to harm anyone, why wouldn't I move forward? Why wouldn't I advocate and, and I have to hope that the person that I'm having those conversations with and I'm approaching will take it in that same spirit. So I think for me, that's been my journey and process of trying to counteract some of those doubts and pieces. The one last piece is, and I talked about it earlier, I try and do my research. I go into these situations with you know, I've taken some time to to practice it with a trusted friend, like calling my dear friend Aaron, you know, or calling, you know, calling a colleague or or walking it through with my supervisor. I utilize her a lot for, you know, challenging situations or times when I need to advocate for something. I'll walk it through with her before I actually have to go out and do it. All right. One more thing I have to ask, and we've got to help women with this. What do you do if you don't have the supervisor who's open to the conversation, or you don't have the team members who've got your back, or you don't have the Rob Parker or or your mentor in your corner giving you that coaching advice. I don't know the answer to it, but we've got to think about what are some of the solutions for overriding when we're not in the ideal situation. Yeah, and I, 
I've certainly had that before. In the past, I experienced individuals, whether through work or, you know, or volunteer situation or different things like that. For one, I think you need to examine that relationship and figure out the things perhaps that aren't working and are any of them changeable? Like, can you change any of those things? If they're not, put those up on a shelf. Look for the things that you can influence or make change with as far as that relationship. You do have to weigh what is there to gain. If you, at the end of your walkthrough of that, if you say, gosh, the only thing to gain by that is they're going to be super mad at me. They're going to target me. They're going to, you know, if, if you can play all that out and know, not just because you think that's going to happen, but because you have seen it, you've learned that that is the pattern, then I do think you have to say, gosh, this is not going to be a win-win. This is probably going to be a lose-win or a lose-lose. And, and you may rethink, do I really move forward with that? And if that's the case, then I think that you do have to find other avenues. So can you find, maybe it's not your supervisor, your boss that you can approach, but is there another person on the team who does have her ear? Is there somebody that your supervisor or boss really does listen to? Can you go that route? Can you try and advocate through other channels so that it eventually gets where you need it to. Yeah, because not everybody can leave their job. Not everybody can switch cities. Not everybody can say, great, this was fun for six months. I mean, people need to stay in a job for a little bit of time. And I always say, I think your 20s are all about exploration and finding out the good boss, the bad boss, the kind of skills that you love and light up your whole world and the things that you go, gosh, that drains every part of me and I can't do that anymore. So I think my advice is also this, sometimes it's not going to be the perfect scenario and that's okay because it's temporary or hopefully temporary enough to get you to the next state. Absolutely. And I think I consider myself very fortunate right now. I have a supervisor that I adore and is incredibly supportive of me, my team, the whole staff. But that isn't the case for everyone. And absolutely, not everybody can just up and leave. And I also would not say that would be what my advice would be to somebody, even if they could. Because I think that we learn, to your point, you learn a lot by working with people that are different than you, that you may consider difficult <laughs> to work with. You know, you you learn a lot and, and you take those experiences and you use them to develop yourself and your approach to others as you look at them in their career and how you're supporting them. So I I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Marla, thanks for spending the past 35 minutes giving us some good insider information about your experiences, your own stories, and certainly some of your best wisdom and advice. It has been so much fun just to get to know a little bit more about you. And my favorite thing that I learned today was your tenaciousness started pretty damn early in your career. You you are not the person that goes, okay, that sounds good. You're the person that says, I've got a plan and a backup plan. And I love that about plan you. Plan A, B, C, and Z. <laughs> yeah, always have all of the plans. It's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. Erin. 
As we close out our time with our team who is giving us some brilliant advice about how to advocate for ourselves, I want you all to think about a few things. Number one, what is at the top of your list? Number two, what are some of the barriers to getting what you need from the workplace? Is it your own fear or doubt? Is it that you've heard somebody else get a big no and you anticipate a big no yourself? Or are you feeling like the timing doesn't seem right or correct? Whatever the barrier may be, I want you to write it down and then potentially write two or three solutions for how to overcome it. And then finally, as you're thinking about advocating for yourself in the workplace, I really want you to think about who's on your team, who can support you, who can speak kindly of your hard work in other meetings when you're not around. And make sure that that person is feeling some energy from you and that they know that you, you are needing their voice at other tables. So lots of good advice and wisdom from our folks today, and I'm so excited to hear what you all will do with it. This Career Academy series is brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, hosted by Aaron Murphy Fisher and produced by me, Ryan Gannon. Special thanks to today's guests, and a very special thank you to Kim Mirabelli, Villanova, whose generous support makes this programming possible.